everybody what's up this is ro yeah i know i was supposed to have a few shows in the feed by now but again life just kicked into 11 and it's festival season and it's summertime and COVID is over with and the job that i have requires me um when i'm not doing stuff for the week during the company that i travel to shows and conventions and all of these different things for the company that i work for so my weekends have just been booked solid my life has been pretty much booked solid between personal life and work and everything else I just really have not had the time. And it sucks because I had all these guests lined up. I had read all these books. I had dates set with certain people. And Stephanie wanted to do a a few shows. And and Shelly wanted to do a few shows. And they wanted to do a few shows together. And there was all this stuff in the works. And then I, I just had to cancel and bail on all of it because it just became too busy once again. And it doesn't look like things are going to quite settle down again until around October because by then the shows and the conventions and most of the stuff that I have to go to to represent the company that I work for will be over with. But I'm still going to try to get some stuff together in between because I really do want to sit down in front of this microphone and do some podcasting again. And it's not a matter of I'm fading and I don't want to do this anymore, which for a while I didn't want to. But now I've got some ideas and there's some stuff I want to do. I just don't have the time. But I'm going to try. I really am going to try to pull this off again here pretty soon. The purpose of this episode, as you can tell, is the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, This is the second time that I've reposted this episode. And I didn't think I was going to be reposting it again. But because of what happened down in Georgia, as many of you may or may not know, the Georgia Guidestones are no more. And they were this really cool like architectural, just this really off the wall thing out in the middle of nowhere. And they, they, you know, they appeared to be very cryptic, but apparently if you are a Christian and you spend a lot of money and you build a, you know, a monument, um, then apparently you're satanic and you're part of the new world order. And you are uh, somebody that wants to put uh, messages out in plain sight, or I, I don't, I don't know. It's all, it's stupid. And in this current political climate, it wasn't a matter of, are the Georgia Guidestones going to be destroyed or is something going to happen to them? It was a question of how long is it going to take for some idiot to get out there and do something just like this? And the time was right for stupidity, and this is what happens. And as you can tell, I'm very angry about this, and I think the whole reasoning behind it is just asinine. It's stupid. And if these things that I, and if you're somebody that's in that world or something like that, and if the things that I say offend you or bother you, or you think I'm one of the sheep or something like that, because I have been accused of being an Illuminati disinformation agent or something, which I kind of wish I was because I could really use the money. I've said that many times. So Illuminati, if you're out there and you need a disinformation agent, you know, I, I could use the paycheck. Anyways, having said all of that, um, this is Raymond Wiley. He's been on the show several times. He's probably the most learned person on the Guidestones. And I've read a lot of books and a lot of articles about this, but Raymond really has wrote the book on on these stones and what they were and, and really dug deep to find this information out. So, you know, if you've never heard this show before or if you've never heard this episode before, give it a listen. And, um, you know, that's pretty much it. Hopefully, I'll see you guys again soon as fast as I can. Um, I'm going to try to rework my schedule in some way or try to figure out different nights to record and stuff. And I'm going to try to get some stuff out there as quick as I can or as soon as I can or whenever life will allow because I really want to get back behind this microphone and start doing some recording again. Having said all of that, this is Rojan. I'm going to run this episode. Peace out from Detroit. Talk to you again soon, folks.
Can't you see I'm recording here? Shut the oh, hell up. I know, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So you drink all my beer. Shut up. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea that we're taking a, a, a break for a minute. Let me have let me wash this down. Let me wash this, <laughs> let me wash this idea down. Well, this will definitely make it into the outtakes reel. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So you are okay. interested in the unknown. The mysterious. The unexplainable. That is why you are here. Hey everybody, welcome back to Project Archivist. Tonight we have Mr. Raymond Wiley who's going to be on the show with us. And this is a guy that I've really wanted to get on the show for a long time. For a while I was bugging him, I don't want to say nonstop on Facebook, I didn't want to bug him nonstop and tick him off, but he finally agreed to come on the show with us and he's going to talk about the Georgia Guidestones. A lot of you people have probably heard this if you're fans of Erie Radio or Paratopia or any number of the other paranormal shows he's been on there. He talks about the Guidestones tonight, but he only briefly skims over what they are just for people. Well, I would say he, he does a he, he just covers them real briefly, wouldn't you say? I would, yeah, yeah. He goes and he doesn't go into big depth about them. He describes what they are because he he's covered that in other shows. Plus, he's got it in his book. But he also goes into the research that he's found after the Guidestones, after he went out and really researched it. Normally, when people are on the show, we have them on here to push their books. But again, we try to have people on here to give knowledge and information above what they've already talked about on other shows and raymond comes through in spades for us tonight and he was just a great guy to have on the show so yeah, he was it was a joy to talk to i guess we'll uh well as i always say let's just jump right on into it Whee! tonight we have with us mr raymond wiley i would say knowledge master extraordinaire we're going to have him on to talk about everybody's favorite subject, the Georgia Guidestones. All right, Raymond, you out there? Hey, how I'm ironic here. that uh, I should say that. <laughs> I, you know, that was pretty that was pretty punny, I got to say. Uh, yeah, I I am I'm here, uh, you know, be, beaming in live from uh, from Atlanta, which is from a far off galaxy from many of us, especially you guys up in Connecticut and Michigan. So it's good to be here on the show. So, uh, how's everybody doing? I'm doing Yay. all right. I'm eating uh-huh. Skittles, so I'm doing fine. I used to listen to you on a show out there radio, and I believe you still have the Disinfo podcast going. Is that true? Is that still up and running? That's correct. We're going to do one more episode of that in the coming month, and then we'll be wrapping it up. But yes. Are you going to leave that online so people can go check it out and download it, or is it, are you going to pull everything down when you're done with it? Oh, no, no, no. It'll, it'll be available. I'll have links to both of them up in the show. But the Georgia Guidestones, when you were on out there, you had just found the Georgia Guidestones, I believe, and you were starting to do your information and your research on them. You've appeared on a bunch of other shows talking about them. Tell us what the Georgia Guidestones are. Give us the uh, give us the short tour of it, and then we're going to go from there about what you've discovered since you made the uh, initial research into it. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the Georgia Guidestones are a uh, massive granite monument in uh Northeast Georgia, Elberton, Georgia. It's not too far from the Savannah River. Um, And they sit on top of a hill in the middle of a very sort of quiet rural area. Um, It's 19 foot tall, granite monument. And on it is etched 10 guidelines that are supposedly meant to guide humanity uh, in, in the future, into some sort of age of reason, or at least that's what they say on them. Uh, and anyway, these guidelines or precepts are written in eight of the most uh, common modern languages. It's sort of like a Rosetta Stone. Uh, people have also called it the, uh, a Ten Commandments kind of monument. That's, it's been likened to that before as well. Anyway, what's interesting about the monument is that there's a mystery surrounding it. No one knows, or maybe only one or two people know, exactly who had it erected. And there's a lot of controversy around uh, the different precepts, these ten precepts that are um, etched into this monument. Anyway, it's quite a sight if you go out there, and it really sticks out in rural Georgia. You know, you're used to having a, you know, uh, a sort of an evangelical church on every corner, but not a, you know, Stonehenge-esque megalith in the middle of a cow field. So, out in the middle of nowhere, made out of granite. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
So the person that did this, his uh, he came in using the name of R.C. Christian, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, he th- this mysterious stranger shows up in the town of Elberton uh, back in June of 1979 and says he wants to build this giant monument. And they didn't even believe him at first at the at the Granite Finishing Company where he um, first first came in and presented the idea for the monument. You know, he already had schematic from from what they say. He already had schematics and drawings and things and even a small model of what he wanted to build. But uh, literally the, the man Joseph Finley at the Elbert Granite Finishing Company thought that it was a joke and it was a prank. So he sends him off to the local banker in town, Wyatt Martin was the man's name. And um, the banker quickly realized that the guy was on the level and that he had money and that he wanted to build this massive, strange granite monument in uh, later, found, later they decided that it was going to be in Elberton. That's uh, that's sort of the mystery, right? Is who who was this guy? Why did he choose to remain uh, to, to take on this pseudonym R.C. Christian? And what what are all these? What are these weird precepts about? Like, what are his beliefs? You know, I mean, these are these are the kind of things that have people puzzled. And then and then I think. Also, what's most interesting about this monument is people's reactions to this mystery and to this story, because that's like a whole other tale in and of itself and, and, you know, a big part of why we wanted to write a book about the monument. So So nobody to this date has revealed who this guy is or anything like that. Nobody's nobody's come out and said, well, this was that person, like the bank people that that set up the loan and the financing, because I'm sure a monument of this size would have costed a sizable amount of money to do. It's not something you just walk in and say, here, here's here's 50 bucks, go build me Stonehenge, you know, out of the middle of nowhere. Oh, by the way, I need to buy the land too, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. Yeah, there's there uh, something like 237,000 pounds composed of 951 cubic feet of granite. So, you know, pretty pretty big project, right? And you know, I'd guess uh, you know, around 250-300,000 probably in 1980 dollars, and you know those dollars were worth a lot more. And that was just so, the cost for the monument, that didn't include like the cost of the land or anything either. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I couldn't tell you exactly because no one in none of the interviews that we did for the book were we ever told exactly, you know, how much the loan was for or how much um, the monument itself cost. All of those things were like R.C. Christian's real name sort of kept uh, private as mm-hmm. part of the process. So the banker, you asked, will anybody ever reveal his name or do we know if anybody will ever reveal his name? Well, the person in Elberton, in the town where the monument was built, who knows his name, has has said that he is taking it to his grave with him. And is, mm-hmm. is absolutely determined to do so. Wyatt Martin, who we have uh, a good bit of an interview with in the book. So Wyatt Martin, right? Not only has said that he's going to take it to his grave, he has burned all of the records pertaining to the uh, to the building of the Georgia Guidestones, what the guy's name was, you know, all of the financial records. He's burned them. I've I've seen a film of him burning them and dumping them into uh, Lake Oconee. Wow. So yeah, and um, so and that'll actually be in a film that's coming out later this year. So, wow. Yeah. So. They're just dead set on keeping this guy quiet to, to let nobody know who he is. Well, the banker gave his word. Yeah. Right? And, you know, apparently the banker doesn't think that, you know, that there's any anything too sinister behind them. Many people do, of course. But the banker seems dead set on keeping his word. Do we, uh, do we know whether or not the banker or anybody else that was involved may have been a frater- in part of a fraternal order? Well, we know that uh, the guy that ran the granite finishing company, Joe Finley, who was kind of like the leader of the town at the time in a lot of ways. He became the mayor later. You know, he really helped the project along. Not only was his finishing, co- his, his Elberton Granite Finishing Company building the monument itself and doing this big contract, but I think he also worked with the uh, Elberton Granite Association. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know, it sounds weird me like quoting these different little professional groups here, but like you have to understand that like Elberton has more than a dozen granite quarries, and they probably right. produce more granite monuments, i.e., tombstones, uh, than any other 
place in the United States. I think there's yeah, that's one. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I heard. That was Alberton was like the tombstone capital of the U.S. Well, let's call it the granite capital of the world. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it says when you're coming into the town. It doesn't say like the tombstone, you know, mecca or anything. Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. though? that would be so badass. We make death look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly make granite look good, and and um, so and the guidestones are in many ways a testament to to the work of the right. people in this town. So, yeah, and, and, and so you can see why in that, in sort of that point of view, why this guy Wyatt Martin is sort of dead set on taking this to his grave. Now, right. there are there are also other people in the community that sort of don't look on it with pride, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask really? you, when these were built, they were, they, when these things were actually built and, and commissioned and put out, the community didn't have the same reaction back then that they're getting from people now, did they? It was back when these things were commissioned that there, was, there wasn't like the overwhelming idea that this is some dark, sinister New World Order thing. Well, by, by and large, the, the town and the county, Elbert County, ex- accepted the, the monument coming in uh, and certainly welcomed the business. You know, I mean, there was not only do you have the, the, the finishing company and the quarry men working, you've got, you know, a land sale to a local farmer and you've got now you've got a tourist attraction for your town for people to come and visit and a little local mystery and all of this stuff. So... And that's why so many people in the town were behind it initially, especially this guy, Joe Finley, who, who you were asking about a minute ago. Were there any fraternal connections? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the rumor is, is that Joe Finley was a Shriner, right, was a Freemason. And in fact, that's what Finley thought at first when R.C. Christian came in and, pr- and proposed the monument to him. He says, oh, this has got to be some kind of these are like my Shriner buddies playing a joke on me. Or right. something like that. And so, I mean, you know, and I've asked some people in Elberton, we talk about this, you know, some in the book. You know, I've asked some people in Elberton, you know, uh, who were in the, the Granite City Lodge, right, which is the name of the Freemasons Lodge in the town. Right. Um, you know, do the Godstones ever come up or, you know, are they a revered site to you guys? You know, you know, anything like that. And, they, and they've always, the people have said, well, the, the Masons that I've talked to in the town have said, no, no, that, that never comes up. And that makes sense to me because Masonic monuments always have a Masonic seal on them. And there's a certain ritual that they do when they, well, when they put them up and stuff like that. They're not, their rituals are secret. Their existence is not secret, which is the difference here. And because the pr- people who put up the guidestones, we don't know exactly who they. Well, the reason were. why I was asking is because I am a I am a Freemason. Oh well, well, good on you. Good on <laughs> you. Man. So like, I uh, I know that that uh, if if you are if you're if 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 another Mason comes to you with something, yeah. it's held you you held you hold it in regard. And if this gentleman was to take it to his grave, it would be, it would make sense that he would want to take it to his grave as a request from a fellow brother. Right. Well, I'm not sure that the banker, Wyatt Martin, the person who know, who actually knows the identity of R.C. Christian, I'm not sure whether he's a Mason or not. I know for sure that the, the, the guy who ran the granite company that built right. them was a Mason. And See, he, was, looked at he, the, was the, he was the mayor, too. Right. And he had a lot to do with making, like, he was the one that first saw, okay, this has some kind of tourist draw for our town. putting money into my pocket. That's it, man. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I think, so that's, but that is one part of the story. Take a walk on the dark side. Del Shannon was attempting a comeback. Even though Shannon's career was about to be rekindled, he suffered from severe bouts of depression. And on February 9th, 1990, took out his shotgun and took his own life. Shannon was unaware that he had just been selected to take the late Roy Orbison's place in the superstar band, The Traveling Wolverines. Take a walk on the dark side. Rock and roll myths, legends, and curses on Audible and iTunes. You know, there's this whole other part of the story with where they, where people wonder about secret societies, not just because Masons, right? Because, yeah, I could see how people might think, oh, that might be some kind of Masonic thing. Yeah, but not, um, doesn't really, it doesn't have any of the symbolism at all. <laughs> no, no, it's complete. It seems utterly unique to me. Mm-hmm. Like there is very little that you can compare it to. You can compare it to Stonehenge, mm-hmm. but um, you know, R.C. Christian 
writes in his book and 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 in a number of other places how the idea he liked the idea of Stonehenge, but he didn't like how it, it didn't convey a definite message. And I think that was sort of what he wanted to do with the monument was to convey a very you know definite message um, across multiple languages, you know, as well. So. You know, but you know, some some people think that he was a Rosicrucian, right? I was just going to bring that up because you've got the initials R.C. Christian. The first thing that pops into my head is Rosicrucian, and there is uh, elements of of Christian overtone in the commandments left on the guidestones. So that w- that was my first thought. I'm like, okay, he's probably just a Rosicrucian, and to my knowledge, Rosicrucians are are another group that gets a, a bad rap sometimes, but they're they're truly a betterment of society and mankind. Well, I mean, that's certainly what their writings said. And this is and this is the weird thing about it, right? Because like every single subject we seem to be talking about here has like it has this meaning that breaks both ways and you almost like feel like you have to tread lightly when you're when you're out here in podcast land, right? Am I gonna <laughs> am I gonna piss off the hardcore conspiracy theorists over here? That <laughs> well we know friends? Rosicrucians. We we've right. got friends of the exactly. show that are Rosicrucians, so I'm not you know, I'm not real worried about them either. You know, exactly. Well that's the thing, is then then you got the other side is I'm not going to piss off my, you know, OTO buddies over here or whatever. <laughs> so, and like, and, and, and do they really think that each other are the devil, you know? But anyway, I know I'm, I'm going like far afield here, but the, the point I'm trying to make is, um, like this, my, my friend Austin, right. Who, who you are aware of if you've listened to out there or something. Yes, and we're trying to get him onto the show very badly. So Austin, if you hear this, <laughs> <laughs> right. So my buddy Austin, he, you know, he called it a prism of meaning, right? The Georgia Guidestones are a prism of meaning, right? It's like, like I said in the YouTube video we made, it's like empire strikes back. You know what, what's in there, you know, only what you take with you. So it's like this great sounding board for finding out what people are hysterical about and, and, and what people have been hysterical about since it was built. Because, you know, you have some people who believe that it was, you know, built by these occult master types. And some of them believe that the occult master types are like trying to rule the world, right? They're the NWO. And some of them believe that the occult master types are like, you know, what they should be shooting for and ascending for or whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's the same thing all the way around. And I think the best way I can sum this up is that uh, it's a work of art mm. more than any, I think more than anything else. And I think nobody's ever, nobody ever really describes it that way, but it's a work of art and it's no wonder if it's a good work of art that people have such varying interpretations of it. So well, there was some uh, stuff in your book also. I was reading in there uh, we can touch on that. It's become a a place for for Wicca and and magical ceremonies and things like that. Ceremonies of protection of sorts. And it wasn't from from the way it sounds. It wasn't intended to be that way. It, it sounds as though it was built by a person who using the pseudonym who fancied himself as a Christian and was just trying to leave something behind, you know, for people for embetterment. And it seems now that you got, you've got the new world order associated with it. You've got magical groups coming and using it for, for ritual purposes. You've had people come in to face it. I'm curious about how, how it's become now known as kind of like a, a magical Mecca of sorts. Well, I don't know that I would exactly call it a magical Mecca. But, um, I mean, I guess in some ways we were actually very lucky that we were able to talk to people who had done magical rituals out there. In fact, in the book, we talked to a couple of folks that were doing a magical ritual out there the night before they were they were unveiled, you know, the very, you know, the, the very beginning back in 1980. And. You know, these people are, in many ways, very few and far between here in the Deep South. And so I think we were lucky to find them. I I wouldn't go so far as to call the place a magical mecca. I think that it certainly attracts people that are interested in mystical, spiritual topics. I mean, obviously, just like Stonehenge would, like it harkens back to... A previous age, but you know, and it also attracts conspiracy researchers, right? Because they see a more sort of sinister. View yeah, that that kind of blows me away. If I were running a secret society organization, organization hell bent on dominating the world, I don't think I would be putting a calling card 
out saying, hey, this is our this is what we're going to do and these are our rules and our laws. But then again, I'm not part of a secret society hell bent on dominating the world. So the best <laughs> I'm not place sure. to hide is in common sight. <laughs> yeah, this well, is true. This is why I run a podcast. <laughs> I mean, oh uh, yeah. Anyways, um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, I you know, I have no problem with people attributing the Georgia Guidestones to a massive global conspiracy. I just have a problem with them doing that with very little to no proof. Of that, mm. and that was something that we really set out to do with the book is that we wanted to find out if these conspiracy theories held any water. And you know, we were doing podcasts and radio shows for years about conspiracies. You know, we thought, well, this was this was one that definitely deserved to be researched more deeply. Other people hadn't sort of gotten to it yet quite as much, and uh, we found it very hard to find any. Any any major claims that were being made by many conspiracy theorists online that uh, that held any water, or some of them that were even worth mentioning in the book, like we, you know, we thought we, there was going to be material about UFOs that we were going to find, and there was a lot of talk about that, but there were no actual articles that we could find, or or if anybody that was actually talking about it. But we found really weird stuff that we, you couldn't get on the internet, like down at the Elberton Library and places like that. And um, so, you know, it was... It Do you want really, to touch on any of that? Uh, yeah, I mean... I, well, I mean, you, you don't know, have what, to give the whole book away, but is there anything you could talk about in there to, to convey some of that? Well, yeah, for one thing, we found a letter that R.C. Christian wrote years after, uh, years after the Guidestones were put up. Where, you know, because the guides, because in many ways his, his idea with the Guidestones was that he was afraid, maybe that he was afraid there was going to be a nuclear war, right? He writes in his book that we have turned the world into an atomic tinderbox, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's completely befuddled by the fall of the Berlin Wall. Like, he's completely befuddled by the end of, of communism. In what Russia. happened? Yeah, no, really. And, and that's kind of the letter that he writes to the librarian in Elberton, like... This is these these events are completely positive and unforeseen, and, and I just really, wasted all my money. <laughs> no, no. Well, he doesn't go that far. He doesn't go that far. But you kind of get you kind of get the idea that he realizes that some of his that some of his initial motivations in putting up the monument, uh, you know, the the times had shifted. A little bit. And you can really tell that when you look into his book. And I think that's the really the big important thing that we do with with our book that you're not going to find on the websites online is we go through R.C. Christian's book and we talk about his ideas and we talk about what he says. And some of those things are inflammatory. And some of those things even look like the Orwellian New World Order. But uh, it's funny that that the conspiracy stuff that I see online right now doesn't go into any of that. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't hear anything about, you don't hear anything about the letter that he wrote back into the town, uh, after years later. And you don't hear anything about the book that he left behind to go along with the monument. It was intended to be added onto, correct? Yeah. The idea wasn't like what we see of the Georgia Guidestones now is, is just the original, central set of stones they're they're actually wanted the uh the, the creator wanted them to be wanted there to be a ring of moonstones like a second ring kind of like stonehenge mm -hmm. sort of out beyond that would track the movement of the moon through its cycle and then it would also have other languages besides the original eight that are on the monument so um but of course that never got built he ran out of money I mean, and that to me is the big tell-all that that maybe there's not the New World Order is not involved with this monument is because why would the yeah, New World Order run out of money? Yeah, these are supposed to be elites that have lots of money to be able to do something like this. Why would they suddenly run out of money to do it? Right, and I mean, also, the, I mean, like if it's the testament to the New World Order and all that, like, I mean, there's a misspelling or two on the yeah. flagstone. <laughs> And like, yeah, uh, it's got Elvis, Aaron Presley spelt wrong. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's something else. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Yeah, it actually in, in Hindi, it says Paul is dead. If yes. You actually 
Yeah, so exactly. And one of the symbols, if you hold a mirror to it, it looks just like the cover of Sergeant Pepper, I believe. But that's another little discussed fact that's been hidden by the Illuminati as well, I believe. Right. So, but I mean, but there are controversial things about about the monument, and uh, it gets glossed over, and, and instead they go for the real sensational stuff. Like, you know, instead of instead of looking at R.C. Christian's book, and this is some of the stuff we do, you know, in, in the book, is, you know, we look at what he wrote and how some of it is really like, you know, it's very like one-child policy, you know. Population for, control. Forced migration of unemployed workers to wow. areas that have, that have more employment opportunities. I mean, there's some really... There's some not cool stuff in there, right? There's Sounds some. Like he's there's, a fan of eugenics. Um, well, no, because I mean, think about think. I mean, you, you know, people always say that about the guide zones. I think that's weird because it says guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. And by and large, eugenics. The idea of eugenics is uh, kind of the opposite of that, right? Like uh, with eugenics, there's you're trying to get back to the pure, you know, Aryan race or whatever they were going for back in the 40s, in the 30s and 40s, and even before that in Germany and England and here in the United States. Well, the eugenics with, movement started here in the states. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the worst eugenics. <laughs> yeah, and, and the some of the worst eugenics laws. Oh, yeah. Forced sterilization, yep. this sort of stuff went on here in the United States long before it went on in Nazi Germany, and it was very terrible. But the idea with all these eugenics policies, right, was never to never to improve the diversity. Right. Of the they human. just wanted one. They wanted the Caucasians, and that was it. That's right. That's exactly right. And so that's the big difference here: is that the Guidestones seem to embrace a multicultural human race that just will looking somehow, to wipe out the weak is i mean do you, i mean i don't see that anywhere in particular but it certainly seems like some of the things that he says in his book are aimed perhaps to- perhaps a little a little too libertarian if you know what i mean like mm. you know um a little a little too much leaving people on their own you know we we wanted to talk to you also about the satanic panic and you had said that it tied into this in a certain way well the satanic panic right is this uh it's sort of a classic moral panic right kind of like the red scare in the 1950s or the salem witch trials or something like that anyway the satanic <laughs> the satanic panic happened primarily in the 1980s in uh late 70s through the 1980s, even into the late into the early 1990s, primarily in the United States, especially in the Midwest and the South and more isolated rural places, and it was, well, I mean, we've all seen some of this, right? It was oh, yeah. characterized by this backlash against rock and roll music, saying that it was satanic in origin, and then you know those stories became grander and grander as time went by, and then a lot of people began believing that there was this giant conspiracy of satanic cults, covens all over the country that, for instance, uh, kidnapped children and committed child sacrifices and drank blood and just, I mean, all the worst things you could think of. All the things that would be most offensive to a Midwest Christian grandmother's sensibilities, you know, Mm. like all the most fantastic stuff. And then, you know, so that that's the sort of basic story of the satanic panic, right? And this stuff was enshrined uh, in 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 like books, Christian books, like that you would get like the family Christian bookstore, right? It still oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, I remember uh, reading a book in the 1990s called Dabblings, right? And it was all about the this classic satanic cult scenario and all this stuff. And it was the first time I'd ever read about uh, the famous. Uh, occultist from Victorian times, Alistair Crowley, mm-hmm. right? And in in the book, it said that he had like sacrificed hundreds of people Ugh. and all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, which like has like no historical accuracy, but it gives you a good example of the way these sort of evangelical novels paint uh, say, uh, Satanism, witchcraft, Ugh. 
you know, I, you know, a lot of times people who are actually practicing other religions in their town, you know, that they that, that they you know paint as Satanists and stuff like this. But this went on really bad in the eighties, guys. Like, uh, you, trust you me, know, I know. You know, now <laughs> you can now if you're in the army, you you know, and if you're a, a Wiccan or a pagan, you can get the pentagram on your tombstone or whatever. But right. back then, you know, they'd fire you or ostracize you if or they worse. found if yeah if they found out that you were reading like a Margot Adler book or DJ. Conway or something like that. I mean, it was it was pretty ridiculous, and it was the same thing, you know, with with the with the the teenagers where their moms were burning their Kiss albums or, oh, or for whatever. God's the least so, offensive group out there for Satanism. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I mean, it's not like Merciful Fate or anything. I know, right? But, um, yeah. Anyway, so you know, that's that's the sort of milieu of the Satanic Panic, but. You know, and and we can all kind of laugh this off, right? It's like, oh yeah, I remember when I was a teenager. You know, my mom didn't like D and D or whatever. Oh, but I would see it that was, too. Yep. But yeah, I mean, we've all kind of been through something like that, especially if we're nerds listening to podcasts on the internet at this point. Yeah, right. right? Uh, so <laughs> not just diss the audience, man. I was I was dissing myself. It's only really. a diss if it isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> you got your own podcast, so you really can't. You know, you know of what you speak. Oh, <laughs> uh, there. Well, I describe my podcast listeners as hungry spiders, so they always want more, precious. So. Nice. Um, does the satanic panic tie into the Georgia Guidestones, though? Does was there wasn't there a belief that this was put together by a group of Satanists as well? Absolutely, and many of the local preachers and ministers in the area thought that it was a center of pagan religion, of pagan rites, or of Satanism or occultism. I mean, they don't—they never know how to use those words precisely. At so all, not precisely yeah, at yeah, all. At all. <laughs> so um, it's really hard to to get at what what their exact beliefs were about the guidestones, but. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because in that, which this was going on back in the 80s, right? And it was just one more example of it, right? But actually, back in my hometown, a church was burned down. And the um, the troubled kid that burned it down, when they arrested him for it, he said someone else did it and blamed it on Satanists had burned it down. And yeah, this was like a, like a, like a really old... Really, really old church in my town. So, I mean, it seems like everywhere you would go back during that time, there would be some example of this of, of this mass hysteria where they'd pick an object within society, the kid's record or, you know, the, the college-age kid's interest in Wicca or rock music or whatever it was. And so the Guidestones became one of those symbols because they are obviously not totally Christian. And they look a little creepy like Stonehenge to people. And um, so a lot of the local ministers, you know, made all these accusations like that it was a site of pagan worship. But strangely enough, it was a site of pagan worship because people who actually believe in those things, who have a legitimate right to practice those religions and are not a menace to society like the like the ministers might have been painting them to be like they actually were going out there so and like i said we talked to some of them and interviewed them for the book so how has the town's reaction been to you have they have they embraced you with open arms do people there like they, they know you now and are they cool with this or how do they see you going out and investigating this oh they're they're always by and large willing to talk i mean they typically forget me between each time that we talk and i have to retell them who i am because they're so used to crackpot researchers poking around their town i mean it's nothing new right mm-hmm. i mean what i'm doing is nothing new i mean it was just that me and katie wrote a book about it you know um but so no, they 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 tend to be pretty open to talk about it, but I think they get kind of sick of it too because a lot of people bring their preconceptions with them and instead of just being polite, you know, they seem back superstitious. So the InfoWars tour bus rolls up and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I don't no, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I mean I, I'll say that I I would certainly wish 
I guess I wish that Alex Jones would have at least said something after the Godstones had been vandalized. Because when they were initially vandalized, like the first time when they were vandalized really badly, it's right after the Obama election. There were a lot of quotes up there that were like directly from Endgame, which is his film. Mm-hmm. Right, which a lot—I'm sure a lot of people in the audience have probably seen this movie, you know. And you know, you watch the movie, and whatever your opinion of it is, like, it's not really about the Georgia Guidestones at all. But there is just like it flashes the Guidestones up right at the beginning of the film, and right at the end of the film. And there's like not even any narration. There's like two lines of narration about the monument. Yet, just that is an, was enough in a lot of ways to get someone mad enough to go down there and scrawl a lot of the catchphrases from the movie on the guidestones, which I thought, well, that's kind of cheesy. And I don't think that was, I don't think that was what Alex Jones was going for when he made Endgame. Maybe it was, I don't know. Do they have anybody that actually goes out and takes care and maintains the guidestones or are they just kind of left to their own devices out there? No, they're 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 kept up, you know. There's you know someone goes out there and mows the lawn and trims the hedges and stuff, and then there's uh you know the sheriff's department has cameras up there now just to make sure no one tries to knock them over or, you know. Yeah, I can't believe nobody's tried to knock them over either. That's another thing that blows my mind. Well, people have tried to knock them over. I mean, we saw some evidence in some photos that I've got of if you look at the English face of the guidestones in the top right hand corner, it looks like there's a there's a notch cubic shaped notch cut out of it and it looks like it goes all the way into the steel rebar that's inside the piece of concrete wow. like as if they were trying to grab it and pull it off pull the capstone off of one of the main stones and knock the whole thing down i mean people like really have it out. i mean what would you say with like a backhoe I guess. Probably a pickup the, truck and a six pack the, of beer right or the pickup <laughs> truck and a hook i mean i don't know what it i don't know what it was, but it just looked really unnatural. And but at the same time, the cut looked really clean. The edges of the cut in it of the damage were really clean, and that kind of worried me. I was like, "Well, you would need like a power tool, some kind of power, a lot of time to do that." And then I looked back at pictures I had taken back in two thousand and five, and that that cubic shaped notch is not cut is not there. I wonder if it was the guy that put the stupid YouTube video up with the uh, the terrible voice alteration. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, the masked ranter. We are the yes. members. We are afraid of the new world order. You know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm some of people Caesars more than the new world order. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, some people may have seen that online. If you guys in the audience follow the Guidestones or have been following the story. Uh, there, there was this sort of masked ranter that got up on YouTube a couple of years ago talking about how the New World Order, it was the Stargate of the New World Order or something oh. like that. It was yeah. just, it was really far out. And like he claimed to represent We Are Change Georgia, <laughs> but, but then we found out that he didn't, like he was too crazy even for them. I think, I don't know. I don't, Maybe I'll post that video up on the uh, on the uh, show notes for this show. If I can find it, I'll put a link to it at the YouTube because it really is quite humorous to see this guy. It just looked like some <laughs> some broke guy hiding in the basement with a light on his back, so you couldn't see his face with a weird vocoder. And it's like, really, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> oh well, you know, I think we should be we we should be nice. Okay. You know, we talk about if you want to read more about the the masked ranter, his name is Jim. We t- we have a whole section in the book about him as well <laughs> oh, and his. And his adventures and some of his backstory because he's shown up in the news a couple of other times. So, um, I mean, that's the sort of the interesting thing about the Guidestones is all the people that talk about the Guidestones and like really get a, get a total hard on for knocking them down or whatever. Like they always have interesting backstories. Like Mark Dice, who's who's written you know written in some of his conspiracy books about. The Guidestones, he used to be like a pickup artist. Like, he used to write books about, like, how to pick up women and all this stuff. And, like, it's just like that everywhere you go. Like, everybody in this story has this, like, some other weird claim to fame. Oh, and Mark Dice also first became famous because he, uh, and we talk about this in the book, because he was the first one to make a real stink about Jessica Simpson. What? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was the one that was like first called her a singing stripper, which what? I mean, I mean, I gotta hand it to I, him. I, I oh yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, I don't know. I hope I've given you guys at least an idea of what oh, the yeah. guidestones are. Oh, yeah. You know, and well, some glimpses you, uh, into the book, you know. Tell us about where you can get the book. Tell us about any websites you got. If you want to plug your show, which it, it sounds like it's coming to an end fairly soon anyways. But if you want to go ahead and plug away with anything you want. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll get the machine gun out. And, the hosts. Uh, don't plug the hosts. Don't Any plug first. the hosts. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, if you are interested in getting the book, right, the Georgia Guidestones, America's Most Mysterious Monument, right? Just easy as pie. Guidestones dot us very easy uh right there on the front page links to get it a million different ways if you want an audiobook if you want an ebook kindle paperback whatever we're here in the future you can get it whatever way you like it and you have it in an audiobook uh, format too yeah we and we recorded the recorded and produced the audiobook ourselves you can get that online and in fact that is only 7.99 Right Ooh. now, you can get that for a direct download right off our site, and I'll even go you one better, my friend. Uh, the e the PDF ebook, which you can download directly from Guidestones.us, four ninety nine. Ooh, right now. So I know Ooh. I sound like QVC, but that's you know a third <laughs> Billy a third of the retail price of the book, guys. I don't know. <laughs> No, yes. that's great. It's it's so, cool because you're it, it's for the money you're charging for the book. It's very nicely produced. It's very nicely written. It's informative. And what I like about it is it's not just these are the Georgia Guidestones because we've a lot of people. I don't want to say everybody, but we've heard about the story up to that point. And you've what I wanted to get you on here for was to talk about what you've discovered. It's it's really nice. It's it's really good value. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I really enjoyed the book. I really liked it. And now I want to go him. see it. He's been talking about your book for eons now. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you liked it. You know, it's it's a quick read. You can finish it off in an afternoon, and uh, we certainly enjoyed making it for you guys. And we were really happy that Disinfo was willing, or Disinformation, to to use the long form, was willing to publish it for us. So What's we site address it's uh, disinfo.com. Okay. So. I'll have that in the show notes too. Raymond, thank you for coming on the show. I'm I'm really glad that you came on here. It's been great talking to you. You were one of my influences to get into podcasting, and uh, it's it's just been a blast having you here. I, I really like talking to you. Well, you know, if uh, the rest of the people on your bucket list are are nerdy guys like me, you won't have any problem filling in <laughs> uh, filling in all of your top interviewees. So, and I'll be happy to come back on sweet uh, anytime you guys like. So, uh, we'll thanks. hold you to that. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> you better believe it. We'll be hounding you. So, okay, and one one last schlock plug here: guidestones us. Check the book out. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks, Thank Raymond. You. Thank you, guys.
turn into a fool.